0: To another episode of the Essential Craftsman podcast. We're very happy to have the Essential Craftsman w- back with us today. How are you doing? Good
1: man good glad to be here.
0: Uh, you're on your way this afternoon to a you, well you've been having some back trouble again so yeah why don't you give everybody the update there and the
1: outlook? Okay so I'm going in for my third or maybe fourth therapeutic massage. There's a, a woman here um, Carrie Thomas who Dustin Furch, my concrete finishing friend, made an appointment for me with her because he is a fan of um, therapeutic massage. And so this is the third time and I'm trying it and we'll see how it works. Do you do you have any feeling yet on whether it's been helping? I can't really speak to it. I don't know. I mean, the back has kind of been waxing and waning primarily because I haven't been working as hard to stay in shape with it as when I was mm. framing, right? I knew I had to be able to do that. So I, I was more focused on... On exercise and stretching, then than I am now. So that's um, part of it. Maybe, re- maybe remind the viewers that well, it was a long time
0: ago. We talked about that, but explain what you mean by stretch exercise and stretching because you weren't going to the gym, but you did find a system that really gave you some, yeah. you know, second wind
1: on your back. So in the year before we, I actually started with the foundation and the framing on the house. I knew it was coming, and I knew the camera was going to be running, and I knew that my back had been hurting a lot for the you know three or four years previous. And so I started walking and started running. And a physical therapist friend of mine, Evan Ricks, started working me over. And I got I got really focused on a lot of stretching exercises and exercises in the morning. And surprise of surprises, my back stopped hurting so much, and I was able to get the house built. and And that worked really great. And then once that was done, I mean, you slow down, and the pressure of Uh, productivity expectation drops off a little bit. And sure enough, I start having some muscle issues in my back again. So I'm, I'm sort of recommitting myself to some stretching and some exercises and, um, we'll see how the, how the, if the massage contributes to a a better situation. Um, and I know at one time sit-ups were really made, that made a big difference. And I still do that. Okay. okay. I've been pretty consistent in that. Probably the truth is I got down to about 50% of the mornings I was doing my sit-ups. And maybe if I'd stayed at a hundred Huh. I wouldn't have had the relapse, but I've been, I've been steady on it, on that. And that, that's a, that makes a measurable difference for me doing sit-ups and, and just sort of bending at the hips and stretching out in the morning. That, that makes a mm-hmm. difference. Um, has Cy ever had big back problems or anything like that for all the abuse he's put his body through? Uh, most of Sai's problems have been around breaks and tears and major reconstructive surgeries. Mm-hmm. He did have, um, some back issues for a while. And he said he just healed up. He just got better, right? Hmm. But part of that was because construction is all about bending over and picking up and bending over and picking up. Yeah. That's what you do. You take material off the ground and you put it in place. And Sai's main emphasis for most of his early years was a cowboy. And the thing about—and so si worked as much as anybody on the planet, right? But most of his work was either with tractors and excavation farm equipment or cowboying. And that is not as dedicated to bending over and picking pieces up. Mm -hmm. So instead he just fell and got kicked and and rolled on and things like that and got broken up <laughs> and and exploded himself Yeah, blowing himself up things like that yeah shot once by a a, a shark a bang stick he's a, he's a scuba diver right and it's a story i'll let him tell but once he shot himself in his left hand with his bang stick so that was one of the reconstructive surgeries the, his back was the least of his concerns <laughs> i didn't have time to worry about the back <laughs> who knows if
0: his back was hurting because <laughs> yeah. everything else was hurting more <laughs> yeah Well, our plan today is to go over some viewer-submitted voicemail. These are submitted through our website and answer a couple questions that came up uh, frequently in comments on some spec house videos that we probably didn't do a great job explaining in the video. So the first of those is in the electric video. Overall, that was a beautiful job done lightning fast, kind of like what you would expect when you hire a professional, or what you would hope for when you hire a professional. And there was some comments, people wondering why in the world you would mar the front of the house with
1: a meter, even though you trimmed it nicely. And uh, how how do you answer that? It's a great question. So if you remember, when we put the foundation in, we ran the the feed, the three-inch conduit up inside the block because we knew we were going to have to put it on the front of the house because of Pacific Power and Light is the local utility that provides electricity. And it is their requirement that the meter base be visible from the front of the house so that even though now electric meters can be read digitally and remotely and however they do it, they still want to be able to see and access the meter from the front side of the house. So it's not a code. It's not code per se, like you know, wire sizes and outlet um, spacing and staple sizes. It's the requirement of the people that bring the electricity onto the property. And there's no getting around that. I mean, they will not hook you up if you don't play according to their rules. And so we put the meter on the front of the house. And when it's painted, it'll be innocuous. I don't think anybody's going to have a big objection. There'll be the glass globe sticking out and everything else will be the same color. And mm-hmm. it'll be okay. I, I say we plant a tree there just Amen. to spite them <laughs> and show
0: them. Like, Yeah. Can't, We've <laughs> not,
1: got a flower bed there. We can put a, a cypress or something right there and goodbye. Because
0: I... These things happen when it's like one person with a great idea. He probably worked as a meter reader, and he's like, "You know what's annoying is walking around. Let's just make that." Yeah. And I'm sure he has a point, but that's annoying. It's annoying. And there's a lot of houses in the world that it's around the corner, and it seems to. Yeah. And well, like you said, now you can read them digitally. Yeah. Not even digitally. It's done online, I suppose. They 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 collect it somehow. I, I guess yeah. I don't know how they do that. I don't, but, I don't either. But they do. Yeah. So So anyways, that was out of our hands, unfortunately. And another question that we may have to get Phil on to talk about in more detail, and that mm -hmm. is about the plumbing. Some folks were wondering why the plumbing didn't all come up in one manifold Mm -hmm. in one place. Any insight there?
1: So it's not often done around here like that. Phil recommended doing it like this. I have learned to always take Phil's recommendation. Now, having said that, the house that we built in Las Vegas just before we moved up here had a manifold system with a, it was an early iteration of, it was something just prior to PEX. It was some sort of a PVC pipe, Mm. but there was a a manifold in a utility room and a bunch of little blue and red, pretty much like breakers in an electrical panel on off. Mm. We didn't live there long enough to have an opinion on how that worked out. Mm. But I can see that if, if in a particular area, everyone was used to seeing it, including inspectors, it might be the way to go. From a cost standpoint, it's hard to imagine a
0: better cost value benefit than the way Phil did it on this house. And, and maybe that's because we had such great access in the crawl space, but Could be. it would be cool. And uh, hopefully we can see that someday. All right. Well, let's move to some uh, voicemails. All right. And our first question, well, we got a voicemail from Raymond Ball. Greetings, Raymond. And you're definitely welcome to come check the spec house out in the spring. Our Let's go to our first question, which is from Andrew. Uh, how you doing, guys? My name is Andrew uh, from Rhode Island, and uh, I just had a couple questions for Scott. First, um, you talk a lot about acceptable tolerances, and I just want to know if there's one thing where acceptable tolerances kind of go out the window where no matter how much time it takes, you got to do it right. Uh, for me personally, it's hanging doors. I've noticed uh, just take the time and get it right, and that'll work. And secondly, um, have you ever shot yourself with a nail gun? Uh, I think I probably know the answer to this and if so, would love to hear the story. Thank you guys.
1: Great questions, Andrew. And so to be overly pedantic, what I refer to it as is allowable tolerances of acceptable tolerances, allowable tolerances. I mean, the meaning's the same, right? So, um, yeah, there are some things where, doggone it, there's only one way to do it, and that is the way it has to be done. And doors are a good example, depending on where the door is hung. I mean, a door in the chicken coop, a door into the shop, a door into, you know, if there's a remodel on somebody's rental and cost is the driver and you're there on a time and material basis, you got to keep in mind that what they want it to do is operate but in most cases, doors—if they're not right—they're just plain wrong. And so I'm with you on that, Andrew. I mean, the reveal and the hinge bind and the—you know, no, no, no door swing. It's got to stay in neutral, and the lock, the the strike's got to engage. It's got to be right, or it's not a door. It's a, just a pain. So yes, and there are a wide range of allowable tolerances in every other aspect of every other craft. I'm sure. For me, another place where allowable tolerance is perfect as it is drainage on concrete. There is very little in this world that is worse than a bird bath on a slab or on a patio or something that doesn't drain is just a permanent problem. And in a cold weather climate, and we aren't very often cold around here, but it's dangerous. I mean, a puddle on a patio that's frozen is a life safety issue. So those are two areas that come to mind. Great question. Um, I, I guess just to try to get to the punchline on this the allowable tolerance on any given job is always determined not by the carpenter by the person that's signing the check it's their decision to make and if there's any question or if there's any ambiguity about that then find out what they want um so and the second thing shot with a nail gun not once but five times actually and so i guess i am a slow learner none of them have been really vicious they've mostly been ricochets you know or you know, a pin gun, you know, hitting a knot and curling around a fish hooking through my index finger and, and, you know, a glancing blow and it's, you know, sticks in my wrist or in a knee or something, but nothing full depth, nothing over maybe half an inch deep, except for the one fish hook penetration in one side and out the other. And it only takes one or two of those before you learn to keep your fingers back from your toenail. Um, I guess I've probably been lucky more than once because I use my nail gun quite a bit to nail hangers, right? Joist hangers. And if you miss the hole, that thing's going to be coming back out of there. So I always try to stay out of the way, and nothing bad has happened like that yet. Um, All right. Our next question is from Carlo,
0: and he is from Wisconsin, where they have a lot of basements. Wondering why we didn't do a basement, if it was a code or budget restriction. And we have talked about that, but why don't you update everybody on why we didn't do that?
1: Yeah, good question. And it's not a code issue. You're free to dig basements around here. Part of it is... Uh, A big part of it is is soil type and drainage. This country has basements in it and a, a large percentage of them are damp or wet just because we are so wet. And we have a tendency to have expansive clay around here. And even if you get below the expansive clay when you're digging the basement, you backfill with that stuff. And so that's kind of a that's 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 on the downside on our particular project, the house, the, the lot was so restrained, so tight. And where the driveway came in was on the uphill side of the lot. We couldn't like approach, you know, we couldn't put a, a garage in the, in the basement, which would have, so it just on that site with that house, with, with this film series, it just did not make sense. But I, I love basement space. I mean, it's useful and it's quiet and it's, it's, um, the temperature is stable. So I hope that answers your question. All
0: right. Matt sent a question. He's from Alaska. Can you put your house building and carpentry videos on DVD so we can watch them when we don't have internet? And Matt, that's fun. That's such a good idea. And the answer is we could, but, and I thought about doing that, but I quickly realized which videos, because a DVD is not as big as you might think. It doesn't hold all that much. Mm-hmm. I think it holds like two hours of Of footage i can't remember the number but i it would take an album or a a book full of dvds to put like the spec house series and so i don't know if that's the right way to do it it may be but um that's where we've that's where i've kept getting stuck is it would have to be like this massive library of dvds and uh i don't know maybe it's still worth it but I,
1: i guess it's worth asking asking you guys whether you think that's worth it yeah um would it be, could we sell thumb drives would that be another way to do it i don't know How if does that, would, that even
0: work oh i don't know if that would help him because he probably wants to put oh, it yeah. in a dvd player and play it on his tv or like you know what grandpa does which yeah makes a lot of sense so maybe maybe we just pick like 10 or the best as many as we could fit of the break best it, ones or something segments yeah i don't know it's a good idea and um We'll, we'll keep chewing on that.
1: If we're still alive in a few months when this thing is done, we'll have that to think about with everything else. But it, it's, a, it's a great suggestion. Thank you. Our next question is from Dylan from New York City.
0: Hey, gentlemen. My name is Dylan calling from New York City. I stumbled upon your channel a while back after coming across the video on how to be more productive. At this point, watching it has become almost a weekly ritual. If I'm feeling unmotivated at my desk job, I'll watch the video. If I'm not feeling motivated to train for an upcoming marathon or what have you, I'll watch the video. When I get overwhelmed by the amount of work my girlfriend and I have in store to develop a homestead and commercial fruit orchard on a 25-acre property we just purchased in upstate New York, I'll throw the video on on my headphones and keep moving. I'm wondering if you ever feel unmotivated, and if so, if there's anywhere you look for motivation, whether it be a mentor or God or what have you. Thanks, guys. God bless.
1: So Dylan, that's a great question. So first of all, that is so gratifying to hear that 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 funny little video has been providing that sort of a resource for you. So thank you for sharing that. Um, So a a blue-collar, single-income life, which was most of—when Kelly and I were raising our kids, it was blue-collar, single-income. Now, when Clayton went into school, she got a job as a teacher's aide here in Roseburg, And that was a big, that was kind of a game changer for us. I mean, that was a big plus. But frankly, the motivation for most of the time was the wolf on the doorstep. And so that's one of the reasons that I've been a little hesitant to really advocate for carpentry as a career is because it is blue collar and it's easy to find yourself with the wolf on the doorstep quite a lot. So that was sort of a relentless goad. But I guess the urgency of the paycheck is different from real motivation, isn't it? I mean, you've almost got to have that at some, some level. But, but yeah, frankly, my understanding of God and his expectation for his children and, and, and the growth opportunities that are available just in living and getting up and putting your boots on and going to work, from time, that probably as often as anything else, that was motivation. But usually, the motivation just came from habit. My folks, my dad particularly, was as steady as a ticking clock. He was just, whatever else dad did or didn't accomplish, he was always at work. And I kind of got that from the beginning. And usually, you know, about halfway through the morning, if you've been working pretty steady, the work itself can provide some motivation, if that makes any sense. So I hadn't really thought that through clearly. Books, you know, the right books at the right time have always sort of shaken me out of whatever kind of... Sort of dark cloud I was living under, and so a combination of reading and work and and associating with motivated people and prayer, I think, would be the answer. Kids can be very motivating because they
0: uh, they don't really yeah. care whether you're motivated or not. They have yeah. they have needs emotionally and time, and then obviously their gymnastics and soccer and all these things and not, not that they're demanding, but it's just, it it allows a dad to tap into a deep well of, 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 of motivation because you've got this family. So there's really something to be said for tradition in that way. And even before I had kids, you know, uh, you want to have a family. So working towards some time, some type of bigger goal. And it sounds like with your fruit orchard and your girlfriend, your, already heading that way. So it so um, sounds like you're
1: on it. So what Nate just told you really is a better answer than my longer answer. And that's one of the reasons that people who either choose or find themselves in a situation where they haven't had kids are usually at some level quite a bit different than the people who have because of the pressure of your kid's naive expectation that you're going to do what they need you to do. And that in the background is always a motivator. If you let it. And so that's that's a great observation. Yeah,
0: there are people I know who don't have kids. They're still highly motivated and satisfied and accomplishing a zillion things. It's just it's there's fewer people whose example you can follow down that path as opposed to a more traditional path. So I, I don't know. I, I think this is different for everybody in terms of what motivates him, but books and certainly music and kids and family and tradition and yeah. All, all the basics. And, and
1: so... Um, and a 25-acre property with a commercial apple <laughs> orchard. Right on, man. Well, I, I, right you know, on. that's a
0: good example. Like, just responsibility in general. And kids and pets are a responsibility. But I got to think, if you had a, a farm or a fruit mm-hmm. orchard, there would be motivation in the maintenance and the planting and the trimming, yeah. sort of like
1: c- taking care of a living yeah. creature, you know? That's the beauty of that, chores, animals for right. kids, right? I mean, so here's the deal, Andrew. You get that... 25 acres up and going, you're going to need some kids. Dylan. You're gonna have, Dylan, sorry, Dylan. Look at the opportunities you're going to have to teach your kids productivity and motivation on 25 acres of homestead and apple orchard. That's, that's fabulous. All right, our next question is from Chris.
0: Hey, y'all. It's Chris from North Carolina. I'd love to hear more about y'all's relationship with God and how that has affected your personal and work life. God bless y'all and keep up the good work.
1: So... The, Chris, that's a great question, and you've probably picked up on the fact that we only treat that kind of obliquely, and from the, the, um, we don't put that front and center on the channel, because as Nate has often reminded me, it's not what people come to the channel for, but you've asked me a great question, and probably the greatest gift my mother gave me was a gift of faith, and if you don't get that gift when you're little, it's a hard thing to develop, because we live in an age of reason, right? Um but faith and a, um, a really strong conviction that God is real, that entropy obviates evolution as, a, as an ultimate explanation for existence. And so what's left, and God manifests himself from time to time in our lives and my, my church community. I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I have been for 44 years. It's been a great blessing to me. And I got to tell you, that I have milestones in my life that are that provide an unshakable i hope conviction that yeah he's real and he knows me, he knows us, and my life is profoundly better for it, and my family are as happy, my family is happier for it, and I am so grateful hey
0: essential uh, craftsman I got a quick question, kind of a fun question uh Do you have any idea how many pair of work boots you've gone through in a lifetime uh I don't know if you go through maybe three or four a year, or it takes you three or four years to go through one pair. But uh, anyway, just interested. I know in my own, I've uh, went through a ton of work boots. And uh, Anyway, keep up the good work. Enjoy the show.
1: So, from the time I was uh, 20 until I was 50, I probably went through two pair a year. So what's that? That's, that's 60 pair. And for the time I was 50 to now, I'm just about to turn 63. I'm going through a pair a year. So, so what do we say there? 60, uh, probably 70 pairs more or less of work boots, something like that, more or less. That doesn't count the rubber boots that kind of get burned up on the side and, and you know, the romeos that you wear occasionally and finally you got to throw them away because they got ratty that's just the ones that were there when i was making my check probably there's really a huge difference between guys who are in the trades and wear work boots day in and day out and how
0: they think about boots versus uh the weekend warriors who Mm -hmm. are proud to say like these boots have lasted me for eight years (laughs) and they're like they're the best ever and it's like that's great but it's just a different animal when you're climbing in those boots 14 hours a day, yeah. and, and anybody who's done that, not me, could tell you that yeah.
1: you go through several per year, pretty much no matter what boots you buy. I, as soon as I stepped into concrete, I, I was in concrete, stepped in, okay, no pun intended there. It was a lucky shot. Um, but once I kind of went to a preponderance of concrete for about 20 years man boots just melt away because you don't always have time to go to the truck and pull on your rubber boots if you thought you were just going to do some setup and check some grades but they need you out there on a rod and so you jump in and so your boots get mud on them and then you spray them off and they just they dissolve I don't care whether you grease them or not so before that it was you know less and after that it's less but in general like Nate said when you're hammering your boots you're I don't care what they are. I don't care if they're Danner or any other brand. There's a type of abuse they can take that will destroy them. Yeah, they're consumable. It's just yeah. like your socks. Like, yeah. Who would want socks that lasted a lifetime? <laughs> like, Please, no. <laughs> Same with boots. That's <laughs> like, true. I don't, I don't want them. <laughs> That's like, true. I want, I want some new ones. But let me say this. These Carolina boots, so Sears being dead and I've had to kind of change gears, these, uh, these Carolina boots have been super comfortable the the Sears Diehards were good value. They weren't all that comfortable. Yeah. Comfortable enough, you know, and then once they were broken in, they were comfortable, but they're heavy. But these Carolinas are very comfortable. The soles melting away. I mean, I knew that was going to happen, but yeah. they've been a good shoe. Yeah. All right, next question. Hi, Scott and Nate. I'm Seth from Iowa. I'm a partner owner in welding and fabrication business. I'm curious how you prioritize your work between good paying customers and yourself and family and friends that you may not be getting paid quite as well from. And maybe what the differences are in the quality of work and whether you feel more motivated to do a better quality job because it's for yourself or family or friends, or maybe less motivated because you may not be getting paid quite as well. Love the show and keep up the good work. Boy, Seth, that's that's a great question. And so that the truth is guys you guys are articulating questions that i should have thought about more carefully over the years and now i here here we are sitting at a table with a camera running and it gives me a chance to think about more carefully things that deserved more attention but what it boils down to seth is whether you're working for love or money right and uh when you're working for money you're working to that allowable tolerance it's going to generate the paycheck and anything other than that is You know, bad business, as long as you're not hurting your reputation with sloppy work. I mean, you meet the mark. You exceed their expectation. You give them the product. They smile. They write the check. You're in business. You're moving forward. But when you're working for the people you love, and that should include your neighbors, frankly, it probably invites a whole other way to think about whether or not what you're doing somehow embodies what's going on in the relationship. Because if the relationship is just business— then it's just business. But if the relationship is something more than that, then it deserves a little more attention. I don't know if that answers your question because you can't always afford to do that. When you're working for yourself, right, it's utilitarian, good enough, get back to work, you know, keep the cow in the field, whatever. But if you're making something for someone else that they're going to have for a long time, you just have to do your very best work, I think.
0: Yeah, don't don't overpromise too because it'd be easy at like a family barbecue to be like, oh yeah, I could definitely make one of those. That'd be easy. And then <laughs> next, and they they they're hearing like, well then, uh, yeah, because I'm I have this and do it for me. But anyways, I yeah. I got to think there'd be a way to, I don't know, it's a setting expectations thing, like. True. You, you could do it. I, I let me. Maybe I'll put you in touch with so and so who's going to be more affordable than I am. You know, may, maybe there's a way. I don't know. <laughs> I think that's going to yeah. depend
1: on your, your personality and how you can balance that. But it's probably not easy. And, and everything I just said kind of limits what you can do for your loved ones, right? I mean, if every project for a loved one is done to the highest degree, then how much of it are you going to get done before? You know how much? So I don't know. You just got to be wise, right? You have to be wise. It's nice when you have a lot of tools because it's great. You can kind of
0: kill two birds with one stone by like loaning the tool to the person. <laughs> Amen. It's like, hey, I can't. I'm too busy. I can't get to it, but I'll let you borrow my trailer, or I'll I'll let you what something like that. And that comes with its own set of challenges, but there is something to be said for just you're helping them. You're doing it, but you're not actually teach him to fish, on man. That. Yeah, exactly. So, so I've got
1: that going on right now. My youngest son, Clayton. Clayton is a great guy, and he and Courtney just bought their first place like two months ago. They closed escrow, and all of a sudden, that boy has an interest in home improvement projects and maintenance projects, and man, I got a lot of tools, son. Come over and borrow them, and I'll show you how to use them, and I'll hold your hand for the first part of the cut, and then see ya. Um, So, I mean, but Seth, you're a fabricator. You're a welder, and so somebody needs a lumber rack, or you've you've got an uncle that needs a shop table, and how much care do you exercise on it? I don't know. I that's it. I don't know, but yeah, great question. Uh thanks, Seth, for putting that
0: out there. And maybe that's something we'll have to think about and maybe make a more uh focused piece of
1: content on after some. You thought. know, we got a video about that. That giant that giant candle holder video speaks to this very thing. Oh, really? Forging a giant candle oh, holder.
0: Oh, oh, we weren't at the train. Okay.
1: Yeah, check that out, Seth. All right, our next question is from Kevin Thomas. He is wondering
0: if you have plans to go to any trade shows. In particularly, the World of Concrete show in mm-hmm. June, and Kevin, we're we gotta we gotta be done here in a few minutes. That's why I didn't play your question, but yeah, I wanted to put it out there.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I lived in Las Vegas for eight years and never went to the World of Concrete, and uh, I did a couple projects that people told me I should t- I should send to the World of Concrete, you know, and kind of enter in there. They I guess they have a competition, but the short answer is. No, I'm not planning on going to that. I, I plan on keeping my nose on the grindstone and getting the spec house to the finish line and getting the next line of our our content opened up. And so, great question, but I don't think so. I, how come? It doesn't ap- – I don't know. I don't know why it doesn't appeal to me. I mean, the the commercial aspect of construction, I, I don't yeah. know. I mean – you know, the Las Vegas Convention Center, they told me would have miles and miles and miles and miles of booths and latest and cutting edge and yeah. stuff for sale. And I just never went, but I would ask my friends that went what they learned. Mm-hmm. And usually they boil it down to about two sentences. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, okay. It's a whole, these things are a
0: completely different energy than anything about the trades. It's about mm-hmm. marketing and people and Activities and it's super fun. I I I I'd like to go to one some point. Not necessarily the concrete one, but um, world of concrete's a big one, man. Well, I mean, there's yeah, there's there's like every, a trade show for every hobby there out there, and they're 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 always just kind of like a, a spectacle. I they guess are. it's like a, there's
1: a there's a lot of interesting people at those things. So I, I would rather take my time and go to the Northwest Blacksmith Association Annual Conference. Okay, well I
0: love that. Well, there you go. You, you, Seth, you, you might catch him at a blacksmithing one, but I think <laughs> he's seen enough concrete yeah, and so... I mean, how fascinating can concrete be? <laughs> Concrete's right? not, not going to entice him at this point. Okay, let's finish with this question from Jared, and it looks like a good one, and thank you everyone for submitting these. You can do it on our website at com slash podcast. you got five minutes before you got to leave, Dad, so let okay. me play Jared's question here and we'll wrap it up. Hello, uh, I'm uh, Jared Kaufman. I'm a uh pretty young framer out in uh, Colorado. Um, I'm currently 18 years old and uh, leading a a 14,000 square foot framing project with uh, between 10 and 20 guys, depending on the day. Um, But I was honestly just wondering if you had any advice as far as how to run a project in general, um, the best way to keep it efficient and uh, productive, um, but also how to deal with doing that while also being the youngest person on the crew. Um, but yeah, um, really appreciate the show. Um, I love listening to it and hearing your guys' perspective on everything. And yeah, uh, keep doing what you're doing.
1: Thank you. So, at a boy, Jared, 18 years old, running a 14,000 square foot project with a crew of 10. I've got to assume your dad was a builder. Okay, that's a huge assumption, but I worked with a lot of guys who at a young age got responsibility and they almost all came from a building family. So that's interesting. So f- as you were talking, I thought, man, do your homework. You can't go home and you can't go home and sit down in front of the television and you can't play video games. You've got to be laying out the next day off those plans, right? Making cut lists and you got to do that. I mean, the time from the, from the time the job is over until you show up there in the morning is critical time for you if you're going to stay ahead of that curve. The best I was most effective when I was running jobs if I thought of myself as a laborer who had responsibility. What I mean was I would pack lumber, I would bring them the tools, I would I wouldn't run a broom because you had to have your head down running a broom, but I would stock material because that put me that put me all around the job all the time, right? And it made me a little bit productive and it also earned some recognition from these guys if I was bringing them what they needed. I mean, I was on their team. So think about that. I mean, if you can pack a sheet of plywood and get it to somebody and stick it to them up on the roof occasionally and part of that rotation, now you're not just, you know what I mean, you're not just the young guy with the big authority. And then the last thing is, at 18, running a bunch of older guys, that's a psychologically awkward spot, right? I mean, unless your dad owns it, if your dad owns it, and I'm not, I'm not delegitimizing that, but if you are related to the ownership position, then you do have some authority. But if you're not, you're going to have to fire somebody. I mean, somebody on that job probably is not earning his check. And if you are struggling to get the respect of the men that you're leading, one good way to do that is to find somebody who's not earning his check and give him his give him his pink slip. You know, however that works, and you don't humiliate him publicly because the word will spread that that he was let go and that you did it, and, but you've got to be fair about it. He has to have earned that firing, and it would be nice if you had the authority to give somebody else, one or two guys, a raise, like the next day. I don't know. But there's nothing like exercising the authority to terminate and the authority to increase compensation to sort of um, make it unmistakable who's in command. And there's nothing like actually putting your head down and working when you can to earn that respect. So I don't know if that's a good answer or not, but that's the way I always thought about it. Brutal. Torching, torching people and just cutting if, them. If they're not earning their check, you fire the man who's not producing. Everybody else is working a little harder, especially if they think there's going to be more money in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I th- I'm sure for a lot of reasons,
0: it's better to get those guys off the job <laughs> mm-hmm. It's, it's a lot of reasons a million reasons why it's just better for them to not be there yep hmm. all right well great question good luck with that project maybe chime in after you get her finished send a picture to let us know how it went and congratulations i was probably still playing with legos when i was 18 so <laughs> you are uh, really tearing it up great job yeah. and thanks everybody for tuning in to our show if you would like to we have the videos on youtube and i know a lot of you or some of you watch it there but if you're listening to this we do put these on our second channel and as i mentioned earlier you could submit questions on our website at essential craftsman.com slash podcast and we will answer the ones that seem to be the best fit for us at the moment and we'll try
1: to get to the other ones later any last words no i hope everyone had a merry christmas i hope that you uh I hope that you made a positive contribution to the people in your life at Christmas time. We got our head up in a new year. 2021 is a pretty scary prospect in a lot of ways, but here we are. Game on. Work hard. All right. We'll catch you next time. Thanks, everybody.